What's up, my brothers and sisters? Welcome to the Fireground Fitness Podcast, where we talk about all things pertaining to life on and off the fireground. The views and opinions expressed are those of your host and our guest. Today, we sit down with Chief Frank Lieb of the FDNY. We talk about some of the things that took place during the course of his career as he came up, some of the different places that he served, etc. We talk about training, culture, how important it is, and how you maintain it. We also talk about lessons learned during the Twin Parks fire. Incredible episode. I hope you enjoy. Chief Frank Lieb, thank you for taking some time and and, uh, sitting down with me and, and joining me and my innumerable guests on the, on the Fireground Fitness Podcast. And um, I, I'm thrilled that we have an opportunity to sit down in person because sometimes when folks are from across the nation, uh, we have to have these conversations over the telephone. So it's great to meet you in person and have this conversation right here. Yeah, great to meet you as well. And like I said, be in person is uh, is nice. It's so rare. I mean, we're coming out of the pandemic, right? We're seeing right. more and more of people, which is which is good. Yeah, absolutely. The human connection piece is incredibly important. Absolutely. So, um, when we, you know, when we talked about what we were discussing this podcast, we talked about, um, you know, I want to talk a little bit about the, your role in training and how important that is to you. I I know that's a a pivotal uh, part of your career and an anchor point for you in your career. And, um, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the twin parks fire, which was not too long ago and, and the lessons learned and the impact that that had on you and your organization and the troops. Um, but before we before we get into that meaty stuff, I want to I want to know how you ended up in the fire service in the first place. Yeah, so well, I got to go back to when I was seven years old, uh, when my when my brother joined the volunteer fire service on Long Island, East Farmingdale, and he took me around, and uh, I just had a love for it early on. I was around the fire department, around the fire service at such a young age that it's really all I ever wanted to do. And then I joined the volunteer fire department that he was a member of when I was 14. And then I was 23 when I got on the New York City 14, fire department. 14, huh? Yeah. So I've been, I've been around it for uh, really all of my life. All of my memories, um, you know, some of my earliest childhood memories revolve around, you know, the fire service. So what, what specifically was it about the fire service that drew you in? I think initially it was just my, that my brother was a member of it, right? I really looked up to him. He was 10 years older than me and mm-hmm. just seeing what he was doing and, you know, he would talk about fires he went to and brought me up and just the, just the brotherhood and how close everybody was. And, um, you know, I just, I just love that, uh, you know, action-oriented people are kind of drawn to the fire service, which, which I loved, hands-on people, you know, which... It just everything that I liked, uh, I saw there. So, what point? At what point? So, how long were you a volunteer before you went to the FDMY? So, I took the uh, I took the fire department test when I was like seventeen and a half. You have to be seventeen to take the test, and um, it took a couple of years before I got called. So, I was twenty three when I got on, but I, I wasn't even sure for a long time that I was up for it because the members of my volunteer department that were city firefighters were just, they were just superb firefighters. Like Mm -hmm. they were just like a cut above, you know, that their training and the dedication that they had, you know, there was an obvious different. And that's, and that's not to disparage or put down um, the volunteer firefighters because this, I work with many volunteer firefighters that are um, just as good as, as career firefighters that I work with. But, 
these guys were just motivated and, and just they ran a lot of our training, a lot of our drills, um, you know, but that's what they did all the time. So it's a little different when you're when you're a full time firefighter, you're dedicating, you know, a lot of hours to the craft. It's, you know, it's hard to do. It's hard to have the same dedication uh, and certainly hours of training when you are doing it more on a part time basis as a, as a volunteer. So like I said, it's certainly not um, a dig against volunteers because I like I said I've plenty of them that I go down the hallway with any day. Yeah, and you're still a volunteer yourself. I'm still you? a volunteer. Yeah. yeah. All the, how many years have you been a volunteer then? So what, 40? Uh, 30, 38 years. 38 years in a volunteer, 30 years in the uh, FDNY. Um, I, I love it. You know, I I had a, I was teaching a recruit class just a couple of days ago, and the, the theme that I wanted to start off with was the fact that we call this the fire service, that we're being service on the end i think is such an important aspect of what we do in the community and nobody is more uh, nobody typifies that more than the volunteers because they're not getting compensated for this right they show up and, and put themselves in harm's way for and on behalf of the community which we all do however um i, I could argue uh, you know i'm getting paid to do it uh so what part of my heart am i really putting into this uh, but i think about the folks who who volunteer that time and, and show up for trainings and, you know, whatever elements of accountability they have to have to be prepared for that, you know, et cetera. It's a challenge. And, and, uh, you know, today's the certifications and the trainings that you need. And, and so many of the volunteers, you know, they work two and three jobs plus, plus they're volunteering for their community. So, yeah, yeah I mean, it's, um, you know, it's a special person that steps up to help their, help their community. And, uh, uh, we're fortunate to have so many people that, you know, that do step up for their community and not just in volunteer fire departments, right? There's, there's so many other ways where people step up and, uh, and help their community in non-compensated positions. So oh, luckily, absolutely. right, it's yeah. such a part of, um, of the American way, um, that, uh, we're so fortunate. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate that you, you mentioned the other folks in community, right? Cause it doesn't, you don't have to be a, a firefighter, a volunteer firefighter to or even, you know, in our neck of the woods, you don't have access to that. But there's so many ways you can serve in your community and give back. Um, uh, innumerable. And it's, I think it's an important part of the fabric of a community. When we talk about bringing a community into, uh, into togetherness, into connectedness, when people get out and are shoulder to shoulder working, that bonds people. And it bonds people in our industry and it also bonds the community when they're out doing stuff for other people. Absolutely. The Red Cross, the Salvation Army, we see them at fires, right? all faith-based organizations that are right. helpful. You know, all these all these organizations that run primarily on volunteers. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there's there's a place there's a place for people that want to do good. There's a place for you in your community somewhere, whether it's the volunteer fire department or or other places. Uh, you just got to look for them. Yeah. So, so let me pull us back on track because uh, you were so you you were talking about not feeling uh, up to the up to the task necessarily, right? You're measuring yourself against these folks who are seasoned veterans, I'm assuming, and who yeah. have this this set of skills. So what what took you past that? Uh, well, I, I did well on the test, and I realized, all right, well, uh, it's going to happen. I'm going to. I'm, I'm going to get a shot, right? So, you, you know, first day in the fire academy is very intimidating. Um, you know, and you, I had some skills from being a volunteer. And, um, you know, you start to realize that, hey, you know, maybe I, maybe I can do this, right? And the instructors at the 
at the FDNY Fire Academy, like they just they're just amazing people, right? So people don't go and teach firefighters, um, you know, unless you have that drive. You're a special person that goes and teaches the firefighters. The majority of the people we have, they'll come in for a class or for, you know, two classes. So if they're teaching the probies, they'll have to commit to three classes, which is about a year and a half. Mm. So that's a tall order. You got to really be passionate about training and mentoring and, you know, so mentorship and training, and that's all ingrained in the uh, in the very fabric of the FDNY firefighter um, uh, and indeed our culture, right? Those are cultural things within us. And even our other instructors that teach out our tactical training, like these are the salt-of-the-earth people that just want to give back. They um, Very rarely do we take a firefighter that has under 10 years to teach. So these are all firefighters that they recognize that the job's been good to them and they want to give back and help the next generation of firefighters. And we just build on the shoulders of the generations uh, that have come come before us. I mean, the FDNY is 158 years uh, old, and we just keep building on the uh, successes of the generations before us. Right? We stand on the shoulders of, of many giants within within our organization and even the giants outside of our organization. Yeah. Well, you talk about the fire service at large. If we're, if we're not paying attention to what our brothers and sisters are doing in other communities, well, we're going to miss out on a lot of opportunities. You know, back in... Um, 2015, uh, I got introduced to Fire Dynamics, and we, as an organization, we started digging into it. I was working at the Command Training Center, and I was tasked with putting together a curriculum for the organization. And as I'm reading and researching, you want to know who who I came across? Yeah, FDNY. Ten years ahead of us, had been doing the Governor's Island research and, and working with UL, et cetera, and doing those studies. And uh, I looked at my boss, and I'm like, why the why the hell are we so far behind? <laughs> but the but the good news was, hey, well, we were behind, but hey, we're we're taking what they learned, and now we're going to leverage their experience and exposure and the work they've done, stand on their shoulders and, and move forward. And I think that we as a, it's super important that we as a community are constantly uh, assessing where we're at, right? We talk about this on the fire ground, right? Reassess your strategy, figure out where you're at, reassess the conditions, et cetera. But we have to be doing the same thing when we're uh, looking at our, our organization, our learning, our, our technology, et cetera. How are we applying our, our skills and, and whatnot in order to be successful? Well, we don't always have it all inside of our own house to figure it out. we got to look to other folks sometimes. No, absolutely. I mean, we, listen, we certainly don't have all the answers, um, but we're, we're a learning organization. Uh, we're a high-reliable organization. We track our small failures. We track what's going on. You know, our procedures are process-based, you know, not, not outcome-driven. Because outcomes, you could get, out, you could get good outcomes um, just because you were fortunate or lucky. Uh, and, all the time. And luck's not, a, luck's not a strategy or a tactic. So we have to make sure that we're evaluating, constantly evaluating that process and, and making sure that we achieve the right outcomes because we have the right tactics. You know, sound tactics lead to, lead to sound um, outcomes, which, you know, desirable outcomes, right? Which is saving lives, saving property, quick extinguishment of the fire or, or resolution of whatever the emergency that we were uh, were called to. So that, you know, and looking outside the borders, I, I travel frequently um, around the country and um, uh, I sit in, you know, if I might be speaking somewhere and I'm sitting in on all the other lectures because, you know, um, there's nuggets of good information that I can bring back to my organization and make us better tomorrow. And, 
you know, it's, we're always evolving. And the idea is, right, always be a better version of yourself personally. And hopefully you're making a better, uh, a better and safer um, organizationally as well. No, I love that. You know, you talked about, and so you, we should tell everyone where we're at. So we're sitting at the Phoenix Firefighter Symposium, and um, you just spoke, which, by the way, I appreciate you doing this after just speaking for an hour and a half. You got to be exhausted. So I appreciate that very much. And, um, you know, that just speaks to the quality of your character and your willingness to continue to give to the greater fire service. Um, so thank you. I could talk uh, fire tactics and strategy <laughs> all, all day long. I, uh, I love it. And, um, yeah, I, I appreciate uh, being here with you, like I said. So right this on. is good. So one of the things you said in your presentation was you talked about um, the training that FDNY does. I know I know we, we were talking about the beginning of your career, but I, I want to dive into this because you talked about the – well, let me frame it this way. So many organizations say, well, t- change change takes so much time, so much work, and, um, and so we get paralyzed and we don't actually affect change in our organizations. And you talked about, and, nor, and, and FDNY is an enormous fire department. We say it's 17,000 firefighters? Well, 17,000 total people, including personnel. civilian. Yeah, so roughly 12,000 uniform personnel. Okay, so large fire organization. So when you are trying to institute change, you talked about change happening frequently and changing SOPs and, and whatnot and, and uh, operational behaviors frequently. So how do you actually make that work in the organization? How do you do it? Yeah, so... On average, twice a month, we change something in our procedure. It could be a new bulletin. It could be just you change a sentence or two or just add something for, for greater awareness, right? So you should be mindful of, of you know, our search bulletin, right? As I mentioned earlier that we, we re- recently updated that based on a project that we had internally where we looked at civilian fire um, uh, rescues and coupled that with the UL search study and you know so our experiences plus the research and we made some modifications to our bulletin and it was mostly about being mindful of where we're finding today's victims so um, the majority of today's victims are found by our interior search teams as opposed to you know two decades ago the majority were from an outside position outside vent firefighter and stuff but that's changed. Also, where the victim is being found. So today's fires are different. They're very toxic very quickly. And so the victim may not have an opportunity to even get out of bed or if they're, if they're laying on the couch where previously maybe they got up, they tried to extinguish the fire or they'd be found in the path of egress, those type of things. So we're finding them that the fires are so toxic, they're rendering, rendering them unconscious sooner. So looking at that and looking at the how we take them out, do we take them out through the, you know, firefighters you come in the front door and you tend to want to take a victim out the same way you came in so just adding the mindfulness of maybe sheltering in place or taking them out a window which we do frequently in the fdny but just making that memorialized as part of our procedures right that it's written in there to be mindful of these things we have a a lot of stuff for our firefighters to consider that are written into our bulletins and that's important because then everybody is reading off of the same sheet of music so no matter where you're working you're seeing that, right? So some firefighters may already understand some of that, but this makes sure that everybody has it. Our procedures are testable on our on our uh, promotional exams, um, and you know, so that's that's why we we institutionalize those in the in the procedures. Not necessarily uh, a big change, but it's also making sure that we are combining that research into 
what what we're doing. And we've switched up, you know, we've modified our procedures based on on the research when it hasn't aligned uh, with what we were doing. But um, the vast majority of the time, when we look at the UL research, our procedures have been in line. Uh, probably the biggest change was our alternate strategies for, for wind-driven and wind-impacted uh, events where we needed we needed to make some significant change. But we kind of led the research in that with Governor's Island, some of the stuff we did with the Chicago Fire Department. And some of that, like our relationship with Dan Majikowski, who now works for U- UL, our relationship w- with him began when he worked for NIST in 1998 following the Vandalia Avenue fire. And to this day, he's still... Um, you know, he's still helpful with the FDNY. He's a very good friend. He's an honorary battalion chief, actually, um, on our job because, you know, and it was us that went to him. So um, we defer to the expertise of some of the lead researchers um, anywhere in the world. And when you combine that with the FDNY experience, that's a pretty powerful combination that leads to procedures that get you the desired outcomes and that's what it's 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 all about yeah that it's so smart that we're we're paying attention to um data collection we now we know it's available to us so let's gather that information rather than just saying well i feel like this is what's true right based on our experiences that can give us a limited amount of information we don't always have it all so i think gathering data and and focusing research on the, the questions that we have in that space is really important and that's exactly what um, you guys are doing and we, you know, in our neck of the woods certainly benefited from that. And now we have folks paying attention to that and actually participating in the UL work. And, um, oh, and that's fantastic. Right. And, and all around, we're seeing that improve conditions for firefighters all over the place. So that's tremendous. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, it's when you look at, uh, our original versions of like our lattice three, like, which is like the Bible for ladder company operations mm-hmm. in multiple dwellings. And you look at this, those procedures and how accurate those were for the firefighters that wrote it during the war years, right? That wrote our initial procedures. And like that original version is so similar to what is still written today. But now it's been validated with research. It was just firefighters experience. But, you know, our brothers and sisters back in the day, they were going to a ton of fires, when they produce those procedures. So it's just the, we can never dis, discount the, the knowledge, right? The experience. But the fact that we have that research now to, to couple that with and make changes that just simply make it where firefighters could be safer and more aggressive on the fire ground, it's a win. It's a win all around. So if you're not paying attention to the research, if you're not paying attention to what's going on outside of your borders, you're missing so much. And I like to talk about how experiences are transferable. You know, I don't need to to learn the lesson personally to get the lesson. You know, you listen to a fire story or a war story. Those are transferable lessons. You know, it may not translate the same as if you had it. But if someone tells you about an incident that they had, that's in your playbook now. Forever, that's in your playbook. That, you know, so when you're drawing up something to, on, you know, what's the experience that matches what I see right now, you might have something that comes up. You pull something out of the hard drive that, that matches for the tactics or strategies, especially when it's some of those oddball incidents, right? And especially, it's the importance of reading line of duty um, 
reports, death reports, and, and close call reports, right? Is because that's what's going to prevent us from, you know, repeating some of these lessons, right? If someone else learned it somewhere else, I don't need to learn that lesson where it cost me the lives of two or three firefighters, right? I could learn that lesson and honor your firefighters by learning those lessons and incorporating them into what, to what we do. That's true learning, right? And, and you know, the, the best moments sometimes are the ones that never happen. And if we f- prevent one instance from, from happening on the fire ground because we put something, a watch out or a caution within our bulletin, is that, hey, be careful, cornices have a, a tendency to collapse in these fires when fire exposes the cornice. Or like, there's so many different things like that that right. we could just be careful. And then our firefighters will be mindful, hey, let me stay out of that area, right? So when that cornice falls, it didn't hit any firefighters, where maybe 10 years ago it would have killed a firefighter. Right. You know, it's interesting. The, the ability to push that information out um, is probably more prevalent now than the pathways for pushing information like that is, is more available to us than ever before. So um, we would be incredibly remiss to not be able to share that information. So firefighter on one side of town has this experience and you go, hey, that's a valuable piece of information. We need to share that across the organization. That's huge. Otherwise, you know, in the years past, you'd be waiting to have that experience yourself or waiting to have an opportunity to sit down with that firefighter and hear about it yourself if they were sharing it with you, right? And now we have the ability to create videos and push out social media and push information out in a variety of pathways, which is huge. Yeah, and it's a tremendous training opportunity. So a a fire that makes the news, local news, um, everybody hears about it, right? right? But then we're not capitalizing on what is the teaching points for that for that fire, right? There's, there's always some type of teaching point that we can at least reinforce. Yeah. Um, and our ability, we have uh, our tips from training and safety that we push out. Um, and uh, we'll have the particulars of the incident and a brief overview. We'll pull some, some points uh, from one of our documents. We'll talk to somebody who is on scene, maybe get a nugget or two of good information. And we'll push that out. And everybody wants to see that. Because they're aware of it. So we try and capitalize on that awareness. And then here it is. Here's something for you to train on. A single one-page document. Oftentimes, it'll have a link to the news story or to a video of it, particularly if it's something that we're, that we're talking about. And we take great pride um, in the ability that we'll get it out sometimes while we still have units operating on, on scene. Um, and uh, last year, we produced over 160 of these documents, single one-page documents, and we send them via email. And um, the job um, is aware of them, and they know they come by email. We see, I love when I visit a firehouse, and I see, I always joke that uh, the training products are on the wall, right? So when you've achieved wall space in a firehouse, <laughs> you know you have good content. Yeah. Um, and that's what it's about, right? I take, I take the training and the safety of of our members very personal um when when we have a member who gets hurt um or injured or um you know you you see a video of of a tactic that didn't go the way we may have wanted it uh, i take that very personal and and so does my team Um, and it leads to this uh, high quality uh documents but the last point on that is um regardless of the size of your organization um, 
whether it's as large as the FDNY or if it's small as a, a one-station department. Your, your ability to push information out and get things done, um, size is not an excuse. Large or small size is not an excuse. Figure it out and get information out. Um, several departments, uh, I'm aware of at least five, that have emulated what we're doing with our tips. And it's that simple because it doesn't have to be your fire. It doesn't have to be your emergency. Um, and just make sure that you're educating your troops because it's another learning opportunity. Simply printing out this one-page document and putting it on a table, it's, it's huge. Everybody's going to read, read it. And that means learning's happening throughout your, your tour, right? Whatever that you're reading, and, and that all matters, right? And that's kind of what we, what we try, and, try and do. And at the Fire Academy, we try and decorate with a purpose, our walls, everything's, we want you to have an immersive learning experience when you're at, when you're at the Fire Academy. That's why you're there. Right, so we put lots of things on the on the wall and and different props and stuff for you to always be, you know, gaining some type of information. Ah, I love that. I was laughing when you mentioned that the gaining wall space because I went into a station recently, and our we do a similar thing with putting out pro tips like that. And uh, I went into the bathroom and right in front of the pisser, like right above the pisser, was the uh, the brief. <laughs> I was that's, like, that's wall perfect. Space. <laughs> it's perfect. No, it's fantastic. Now, unfortunately, I, because of my eyes, I couldn't read it because it was too close <laughs> to my face. <laughs> I'm like, okay, this needs to get printed in a different font. But um, but it's that's a, but pushing it out and getting it on the kitchen table, getting it in front of, on the pisser in the crapper where you know you're going to sit and you're going to read something, right? You're going to be there for a few minutes. So why don't you pull this up and and anymore? We got to use online tools, right? Because folks are sitting down on their phones all the time, and we. Uh, we have a thing called uh, Phoenix Fire Ops, which we put videos on and, and other kinds of training information. And so folks will, you know, you see them in the in the straddles at the station and they'll be watching a video on Phoenix Fire Ops. And that's a fantastic tool. So it's just leveraging technology to put it in front of people. And I really appreciate that you said it, it doesn't have to be your fire. Because if you're sitting around waiting for some event to go gain experience, you're going to be sorely unprepared when the shit gets real. And that's an important point to, to make, you know, to, to appreciate because you mentioned today in your uh, at the end of your talk you gave out a, a web address or an email address you could subscribe to the FDNY tips do you remember what that address is yeah so training tips at fdny.nyc.gov we have our in, internal tips and and we get a lot of requests for people who want to be added to uh, um, to that list and you know last week we put out a tip uh, related to the um, the train derailment in Ohio right so that's not our incident but it could be yep right. Um, so, hey, just here's a reminder. Here's what happened. And, um, you know, there's different ways that we could be uh, prepared because everybody's aware of everybody's aware of that incident. Um, you know, we put one we, last year. We put one out on uh, on the L.A. fire. Um, and, uh, you know, like two days after that happened, because everybody saw the fire venting with the members on the aerial ladder. Right. So we want to capitalize on that interest. Smart. Right. And then and train our firefighters. It doesn't matter whether it happened here or it happened 2,000 miles away. Um, there's points that we could highlight for our members to hear some takeaways for that. I don't even need to know all the particulars of the incident. I could just tell you with the Ohio incident, simply just take out the North, North American Emergency Response Guidebook. Right. And as the first engine, just discuss what you would do. Right. What's the evacuation distance? What does it mean when the, when the chemical's highlighted, right? So all those different things. And 
um, I had a couple people reach out to me, and they're like, yeah, I took it off the rig, and that's what, you know, they sent me a picture of them sitting around the kitchen table, and that's what they were drilling on that night. And that's what we're looking for. So that one-page document gave them a topic to talk about. They go and they take out the book. They talk about it for 15 minutes. And that recency factor, if they just trained on it, right, if they have an incident, they have an idea of what they're, of what they're talking about. And they have videos, too, from, from the Ohio incident, and they start looking at their phone and coming up with more stuff. And, you know, so speaking of the uh, today's firefighter, right, today's firefighter, everything's about the phone. Right, so you have to have your content needs to be on on the phone, and our learning management system um, is built to make sure that it looks great on the phone. That was our app um, that every FDNY firefighter can have has all of our learning management content on it, videos and all of our tips from training are on there. There's so much information that they can get, but it's it's they're able to access. We yeah. have to. So every generation is different. Right, this generation is no different than you know. They they're a little different than the previous one. Every every generation is different. Um, this generation learns differently, and it's up to us as leaders to adjust to them. We can't expect generations to adjust to us. So if, if you're probies, if you're in charge of a, a proby school, new new firefighters, they learn these. You have to adjust it. To them, especially if you start seeing higher fail rates, right? You know, oh, these firefighters, they're not as good as we were. Yes, they are. They just learn differently. Right. And we have to adjust to that. So our probies, when they come in, they're given an iPad. Every probie has an iPad. And all of the content is on there, complete with videos. We can tell how long they're spending on the program. So it also there's benefits to us that we're tracking the data. You know, this generation doesn't like to read textbooks, Ask a college student if they bought textbooks for their classes. Yeah. Right? So how they learn and what we produce and what we give them to study matters. Yeah. Right? They're all using Quizlet. They're using all these different things. So we got to understand how they learn. And how do you do that? Well, so I have kids that help me. Some of my children help me. <laughs> but reach out to these firefighters and plus see what yeah. they're doing. Yeah. You know? What sites do you go on? What are you doing? How do you learn? How do you study? Yeah. Because that's how we help them. They're, they're members of our organization. I want them to know and be as smart as they possibly can. So we make sure that we adjust to them, right? And that meant a lot of adjustments for us. We have a cell tower at, at our fire academy now because we didn't have enough connectivity. So now we do. So all those different things to make it where, where we could work because so much stuff is technology um, based and internet based, um, but we're meeting the firefighters where they are, instead of taking the approach of they got to meet us where 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 we are because that approach doesn't work. Yeah, no, that's super important. You, the path you have to re, you have to remove resistance from the path of learning, and and facilitate it for folks. And if the path of learning is hey, we've got these new fandangled devices over here, and this is what people are using for everything, then let's leverage it. That's exactly, yeah. Leverage is an asset. So when did, okay, so was there a point in your career, now you've, you know, you've worked in a wide variety of, of locations and, and, and different positions in the organization. Um, what, sidebar question, favorite, favorite position ever? Oh my goodness. That's like asking who's your favorite child. But <laughs> there's, you know, there's, I don't care what anybody tells you, there's nothing better than having the nozzle at a first two fire. There's nothing better than that. It doesn't matter. There's, you know, 
Uh, I certainly like the irons position, um, and I like the can position. Um, but there's so, there's so many good positions, right? But but the nozzle <laughs> so I mean, puts you the best. Yeah, <laughs> but that's but that's that's the best one. I'm glad. So I'm glad you didn't say what was what's been my favorite rank um, because that's hard too, right? Because I've I have been um, incredibly fortunate and blessed to work with so many great firehouses and great firefighters and every every place that I've gone to um I've I've had just a wonderful experience just working with um with great people that are into the job into training into into serving the public right I mean it is a privilege to be a firefighter to have the opportunity to be trusted with protecting people and saving lives and, and property um they trust you at their most vulnerable times, yeah. and we should never ever take that um, that trust and that privilege for granted. Because it is, I am privileged to serve in the FDNY, and I'm privileged to be a member serving my volunteer fire department in my home community. Mm. Yeah, that uh, you know, I I really appreciate you saying that, and I I think back to uh, an event that occurred to me early before I ever came on the job, I had an opportunity to run into a house fire and I'll spare you the whole flowery, the whole story. But we took this little girl out and she was not in harm's way. She was behind a hollow corridor, far removed from the actual fire compartment. And, um, but her father died that night and her mom was at the store. And for 15 years after that event, I got a Christmas card from that mom, uh, expressing her gratitude for uh, my friend and I for going in there and saving her daughter. And it's funny to me because it's tra- it's, cha- it's changed over the years what that meant to me, right? And in the beginning, I was like, yeah, I was a hero. That's badass. And then I began to understand the actual value that, uh, that somebody's willingness to go in to a dangerous space and do something for and on behalf of another human being is a big deal and is an important responsibility. And so... It's, and it's become my greatest honor to be a person who gets to do that uh, my whole adult life and in various capacities, right? And so when you say that, I'm like, yeah, it is an honor and a privilege to be able to, uh, to don this equipment and this, you know, this level of skill set. And I think it's, a, it's an important responsibility once you say I'm going to do this uh, to maintain the capacity to do it well. Because it matters. Exactly. Because it really matters. Yeah. And when when you get a letter like that, it drives it home mm-hmm. in a different way mm-hmm. than you're used to getting that message delivered to you. And you recognize that that one day you made a generational impact on a family. And we must never forget that because we are here to protect and to serve the people in our community. So it is always it is always about them. Yeah. And it's about making sure that we take care of our people, our people that get on the fire trucks and the ambulances. It is always about them as well because we need to make sure we're taking care of them. That means we're training them. We're keeping them safe. We're looking out for their physical and mental well-being when we we could even when we start talking about um, behavioral health and mental health there's a whole 
suite of other things that we need to talk about with those and be and make sure that we're best protecting our people so that they're ready and have the coping mechanisms to deal with it even you know before preloading them with everything that they need to know and then afterwards to make sure that they're able to deal with that both left and right of the boom but it's always about those that were there to protect and it's always about our people yeah and we should never um, lose sight of that because that is the crux of why we are here. Hundred percent. Yeah. That uh, that mom impressed upon me. I don't know that she meant to do this, but she sealed in my soul this idea that as we speed around at hundred miles an hour past everybody, that we impact each other, and that we can impact each other poorly or we can have a, a positive impact for people. And it's, it's about what you're willing to do. And when I think about training and I was going to ask you, you know, I have a question in mind here, but I'll get there eventually. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say like what's impacted me when I think about when I come to work, I am always thinking, what can I do better to be more effective to accomplish my mission? And, you know, as a line firefighter, it was what, you know, what, what can I do today to improve my skill set? And as a, you know, as a command officer, it's, you know, what can I do to help my folks be prepared for what they're going to encounter? Right. And I, you know, joke around, someone's like, don't you miss being on a fire truck? And I'm like, yeah, hell yeah. I miss being on a fire truck. However, I have the opportunity now to, to serve the community vicariously through you. But my, but my mandate is I got to take care of you. I got to help you be successful, which is kind of what, exactly what you're talking about. I'm just repeating, I'm mm-hmm. repeating you back to you. <laughs> <laughs> so my question is, is at, so going back a little bit, at what point in your career did it, did it sink in for you that like, man, training is the, the, is a cornerstone of what we're doing here? Oh, certainly my entire career with the FDNY that started before the FDNY. Um, and then early on having mentors that came in and worked in my firehouse from my very first captain, Gene McGowan, to Jerry Tracy and Tom Richardson, who are two influential chiefs in my career, who I worked with as a young firefighter, who they understood the importance of training. Then when I went to my first, um, you know, uh, when I went to special operations and I served in Squad 270, we, we were always drilling and always training to be better. And just seeing, like, it's... Um, and I think I, I took it to a different level when I became a lieutenant because I was producing one-page bulletins based on stuff that I was reading um, as a lieutenant. Um, in fact, my, my, my firefighters where I was working in Engine 324 um, as a lieutenant, uh, they had a box. They called it the Lieb box, and it was where they would put all my, all my documents So because they used to put them in with the newspapers, and they would get thrown out. And I'd be like, don't throw these out. This is training information. <laughs> I put work into this. <laughs> yeah, so it would be hung up in the bathrooms and wherever else, right, um, f- for a week or until the next, next tour when I put something else up. And then they would take the old stuff and put it in there. So, and I would see firefighters referring back to that frequently, especially details. And I just always continued that. And I was fortunate I had a, uh, uh, I had a lot of great chiefs, but uh, this one chief, uh, Jack Kleehouse, who was a chief in the 4-6 Battalion, in, in my battalion, he would always send us information um, about um, different anniversaries of fires and stuff. So he was, mm-hmm. I saw him doing that, and that just enhanced what I was doing as well. So just seeing how, you know, emulating how others do stuff that you see that works for you, that you like. When he'd come visit, he always had a good fire story, 
right? And again, those are transferable experiences. And he would tell me about a fire that he had. Um, and I just, I was always absorbing it. I was told early on, learn something fire-related every tour that you work. And I've done that my entire career, uh, as well as learn something from everybody. Sometimes you learn what not to do, but, but you're learning from them nonetheless. And, you know, hey, the, the goal is, the personal goal should be to be a better version of yourself every day, right? Yeah. You're constantly making yourself better. Um, and I think at, at my level now in the organization, it's not just about making myself better. Um, it's, it's about making everybody better, right? I have, um, you know, the training is an organizational priority in the FDNY. Um, and it's a priority that has been a large part of my job for, um, for many years now. And like I said, I take that very serious. And, you know, when I see successes around the job, um, I'm like a proud, I'm like a proud dad, right? Like, um, I like to think that in a small, very small way, you know, their training didn't let them down, right? And uh, let no man's ghost come back to say their training let them down is uh, is is inscribed around the fire academy in several different locations. And it's about always making sure that you're prepared when you're put into that situation. And I think that's that's a huge hallmark of the FDNY, that our members are always ready when, you know, prepare for the possible, because anything's possible. And we prepare for, for all those instances and prepare our members. So when they're putting to that place, into that position, when they have that privilege to save a life, that they are ready to operate because they have taken their training, the teamwork, the mentorship, the FDNY way, they've taken that very seriously. Yeah. And what I really love about what you're saying is how much it's imbued into the culture of the FDNY, right? And and when I think about uh, organizational complacency or individual complacency, um, it, it has no place in our business. And so we have to be uh, sometimes we let it creep in and it's something that has to be, uh, pushed away constantly. And, um, you know, when we talk about building culture, uh, a culture of a, a training culture, that's a very important aspect of, of staving off complacency, you know, constantly looking around you and saying, okay, what am I, what are my gaps in my knowledge, uh, my knowledge, skills, and abilities? What are my gaps and what can I do to fix them? Uh, is very important, but it has to be something that the organization is supporting and that the members are constantly leaning into because it's not, you know, you can have one guy who's really into training, but if nobody else is, that one guy's going to be standing on an island, that's problematic. So I really do appreciate that, you know, what you're saying there and how important that is. Training must be an organizational priority. You show me a department that trains regularly and I'll show you a good department. That's all I need to know about a department. You guys train? Yeah, we do. How often? Once a month? Yeah, that, that ain't training, right? Every tour? All right, that's training. Several times a tour? What are the different ways that you get information out to your members? That all matters, and that's all part of the training culture. But if your training is solid, that is the bedrock foundation of your department. If you prioritize that, so many other things fall into place, right? That's, that impacts safety. That impacts all the, other, all the operation. Everything that you're doing revolves around training and you know that's why we have to make sure that um that we demand high quality frequent training yeah and you know and that is 
you know, the uniform must always be advocating um, for that, especially when, you know, when budgets get tight, whatever, right? So uh, sometimes training is easier to cut, but you got to make sure that you're advocating for that because it impacts every other um, bureau or every other part of your organization. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, and that that's a, a, a perfect segue because if you're uh, – I'd like to talk to you a little bit about the um, Twin Parks fire uh, because in my opinion – when we talk about this event, the, su- the successes that you guys experienced there were based on training, right? Are the result of being effective and having good training. And um, so I'm yeah. trying to think, where do I even begin? <laughs> where do I even begin? Tell me a little bit about, from your perspective, I guess here's the big question, right? From this event, you had massive number of, of uh, a large number of fatalities, a large number of casualties who went to the hospital. Um, I don't believe any firefighters were hurt or injured. Some minor injuries. Some but minor yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but all told, uh, many, many lives were saved that could have otherwise been lost. And so that was my takeaway from it. And, and I would love to hear, though, what are some of the things that, that stood out to you or were important to you yeah. from that event? That's a good question. So the, the Twin Parks fire was January 9th of uh, um, 2022. It was a Sunday morning just before noon. And um, uh, a fire in a high-rise fireproof multiple dwelling. And um, 17 people lost their lives at that uh, at that fire, and um, which is a staggering number um, that I probably still haven't fully wrapped my head around. Um, not only the number of fatalities, but we transported over 60 uh, 60 victims from that fire as well. And um, but our preparation, our dedication, the, and the Herculean effort that our people put forth that day. Um, and, you know, we have NFPA 17 compliant staffing, which is the staffing model for predominantly career departments. Um, you know, we, if we weren't as well-trained and well-staffed as we were, we could easily had upwards of 100 people uh, that could have lost their lives there. Um, we had smoke permeation, uh, throughout the entire building prior to our arrival. The stage was set before we even arrived with getting reports of multiple people unconscious on the, uh, on the fire floor before we even arrived. And we arrived in under three minutes. So our ability to operate in the gray areas of our procedures, to understand what they were seeing, what our members were seeing, and to, to save the number of lives that, that we, that we saved, um, is just a testament to our training, dedication, our teamwork, um, the the sheer number of people that we did CPR on, that got the Sino kits and 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 they were transported to the hospitals. Our ability to understand the surge capacity, the availability of ambulances, how many people can hospitals reasonably take, victim wise. I mean, how many hospitals can can handle multiple people in cardiac arrest at one time? That's a question you got to ask in your community um, and know what's the diversions policy. How, where are we going to take these people? What's your staffing? How long does it take you to get 60 ambulances? Street management plan. Making sure that we're searching. The sectoring of each of the layers of the building, right? So um, we sectored it every couple of floors. Um, but you could have a large geographic area, right? Not necessarily a high vertical area. But how are we gonna, you know, how are we gonna implement ICS and segment that into manageable spans of control? 
right? Three to seven, five being ideal, and making sure that we get to those um, to those desirable uh, procedures that to get to the best outcomes. And that's what we saw. That's what we saw that day. Um, our 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 ability to bring people out alternate ways, the apparatus positioning, the ladder positioning, uh, the hose line positioning, um, all of that, and it was our ability to operate in those gray areas to to you know to to use the uh, a line from after the Boston bombing. There was a, a white paper that came out and it was called "Why Was Boston Strong." And um, it said in the paper, it said their ability to annex the playbook. Well, so their ability to annex the playbook saved many lives that day. Well, what does that mean? That means they operated in the gray areas. They understood what their procedures said. And then they operated um, maybe outside of those parameters of those procedures. But they did it to save lives. But you got to have a deeper understanding. Yes of the procedures you got to understand the why right sound procedures have sound reasoning and when you understand that reasoning you can operate more efficiently more effectively and safer on the fire ground and achieve better outcomes when you have that that's why understanding having a deep understanding of fire dynamics understanding what a dropping neutral plane means understanding that a very low neutral plane may mean you have a fire below you Right, all those little things, all those tactical nuances that matter, and if you got, if you know them, you're just going to be able to operate more aggressively, more safely, and have better outcomes. And who's going to argue with that? Right, exactly. You know, you you plucked a chord for me there when you talk about annexing the playbook. There's a uh, uh, have you ever heard of Musashi? He's this ancient samurai. He wrote a, the Book of Five Rings, and one of the things he says in there is. If you know the way broadly, you will see it in all things. So if you understand the playbook, then you, you'll see all the, the boundaries and the play and the elements that you can work inside of and outside of. But you got to know it. Yeah. yeah. And, and, that's, and that takes work. And, and that's yeah. the fascinating part of understanding the basic building blocks, which is fire dynamics. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we have a robust firefighting a uh, fire dynamics uh, training bulletin now and it's it dedicated to fire dynamics it's all about fire dynamics oh that's great it doesn't tell you that you shall do anything so knowing this document just tells you how to do things better right. so if you understand this it's like having an additional it's like a sixth sense right, right that, that you're able to understand yeah. so you go walk around the fire ground blind to some of these and then you won't recognize that maybe that room is going to flash over, right. that we're going to see vent point ignition, or that we could see, you know, that conditions are ripe for a backdraft, or understand, what, you know, the, the velocity, volume, density, color, stratification of smoke, right? Understanding what all of those mean. But when you know that, you're operating on a different level of playing field when right. you have, when you're tactically sound in fire dynamics, particularly fire dynamics right you could search better you understand what you see right all these different things all play in and it's why it's a foundational building block Mm -hmm. yeah years ago i attended a class uh dave dobson i believe the art of reading smoke Mm -hmm. and it it transformed my understanding of the fire ground because before it was just heavy black smoke hot (laughs) 
Yeah. Right? But I began to understand the nuances of why it's different in different parts of the house, how the smoke is traveling, why that matters to the fire propagation and the spread of fire throughout the compartment, et cetera, you know, how wind affects fire, all those different things. And it transformed my understanding. So when I stood and looked at fires, I'm like, oh, I know exactly where the fire's at. And I know what it's going to do next. And people are like, well, how do you know that? I go, well, let's, let's look at the conditions. What's the smoke doing over here? Look at the pressure it's under on this location. Look at the coloring of the smoke. That tells you a whole story about what's going to happen next. And that doesn't happen uh, by accident. You actually have to go and get that information. Um, you can wait around and wait and wait and wait to gain the, the number of sets and reps. But again, it all goes back to training, right? All the roads lead right back to training and study and, and, and preparation. Um, so when you... When you think about the the Twin Parks fire, is there anything that you guys went in and, and changed and said, okay, we got to do something differently? Or, or were you guys like, no, we, we were pretty set up and, and things went as well as they could? So we did some, we, we did some stuff outside of, our, uh, outside of our procedures there to help save lives. Um, mm-hmm. Some of the, um, the apparatus positioning, a lot of... Uh, a lot of ladders put up from people, um, engine chauffeurs helping with ladders who traditionally wouldn't wouldn't do that. Um, uh, we wound up with a hose line in the rear, um, so it was the third, you know, second floor fire extended to the third floor in a duplex down apartment. Um, we wound up putting uh, uh, exterior water in in the rear um, to help extinguish the fire on the lower level of that. Firefighters had made it into the uh, third floor. But it's very difficult to go down when you have a, a low inlet um, and you have a high outlet. Uh, that's a velocity-driven fire, even without even without wind. Yeah, and that's a challenge, right? So when you talked about a duplex down, I it never. That's something that I don't. We have them here in our neck of the woods. Don't see them very often. And you talked about having a subterranean fire above grade, and I yeah. was like, my mind just exploded. I'm like, holy crap, that's right. That's a. I'm like, there's no way in, right? Unless you come in from the top and work yeah, your and way you, down. You have to look at it from that, right? Yeah. Because a cellar fire is a very challenging fire. Now we have a cellar fire that's occupying the second and third floor, <laughs> right? You have to go down to get to that. I don't care what level you're on in the structure. Yeah. It's still. It's a. It's for all intensive purposes. It's a cellar fire. Yeah. And we have to be aware of that, especially when you have a vented window that's low, and then you have an open front door. Right. Because now you, flow path right you have the, the perfect yeah. storm for a flow path. Yeah, yeah. Um, and those can be deadly to firefighters. And we have to recognize uh, that event. Now, is that a, was that building constructed that way, or were those repurposed and remodeled no these duplexes we have a lot of them in new york city and they're, they're built intentionally okay uh like that yeah so there's a there's a lot of them in many different areas of the of the city the local units are aware of them yeah but you could be aware of it all you want when you have a fire you still have to get down you know right uh, those lower levels are a little harder so obviously a fire on an upper level um is a lot so easier. So I'm assuming those lower levels don't have any uh, hallway access or any ingress points. That's correct. There's yeah. no there's no points um, below. If there was, we would attack that fire right. on, no, on that level. Right. That makes perfect sense. Always attack the when possible. Attack the fire on its level. Yeah. Um, so in a if you have an exterior entrance for a cellar fire, that's ideal. Right. To attack it there, it's it's a so it's a lot safer, and it allows the firefighters to be a lot more aggressive. 
when they do that. So fighting the fire on the level that it's at, not putting yourself in that in that flow path, um, especially when there is the ability for that fire, for that, for those fire dynamics to change. So if you have a below grade fire and there's no ventilation points and like no windows, right? So a true cellar that's totally below grade, say, yeah. and there's no possibility of inventing, venting. Now you go down that stairwell, well, because it's it's inefficient. The that basement, that cellar stairwell is operating as an inlet and an outlet, right? So it's a it's a bi-directional flow. Right. So it's not going to be as efficient as a unidirectional uh, outlet. And that's the challenge, right? And recognizing that, okay, I have no potential ventilation points in this. The only way in is, the, is that cellar stair. Okay, then we're going to get after that. But if we have the possibility of it venting, we have to account for that. And then when that, if that does vent, whether it vents on its own or a firefighter taking it, that those conditions are going to change because that's going to, that bi-directional vent is going to become a unidirectional vent. And that can create drastic uh, uh, situation for firefighters. Yeah. No, it's so interesting. It, it really speaks to, A, knowing flow path and understanding fire dynamics uh, and knowing your first due, right? Yeah. Under, understanding the construction types and the the uh, potentiality that exists there so freaking important and um you know one other thing that you mentioned um about that fire was i think you said it was the fourth due ladder and the way they positioned themselves and how he was able to actually affect rescues and i was so impressed by that because it's so important that you may think to yourself hey i'm not going to have a role to play in this event but strategically and tactically positioning yourself so that you can contribute should the event escalate is super smart and is a heads up play by a, by a, you know, a thoughtful and talented firefighter. Yeah. And he backed his rig into position fourth due ladder at a high rise fireproof multiple dwelling. The chances of him needing his ladder are so slim, but this guy has some time on a job. And like I said, he didn't just wake up that morning and be good at what he does. Right. Right. He's probably been, I guarantee you, he has been doing that every single day for years. And it probably never really mattered that he was doing it every day until it really matters. And on that day, on that fire, what he did really mattered. And he was in position to make a positive contribution and led to positive outcomes. And that, to me, is obviously a testament to that firefighter. Yeah. What he did was just fantastic. But it's a testament to our dedication to achieving the best possible outcomes, even when the odds of its use or, or necessity may be low. Yeah. And in many ways, that's the, the true barometer right is that you're always ready because he could have had people appear at the window and he could have mailed it in and just parked it any old way but he didn't and he was able to get up there and you know one of the uh one of the most popular um pictures from that fire is him carrying an infant down the ladder yeah and maybe that infant's alive simply because he knew his job and took it serious on every single run. You know, as I mentioned, the FDNY, we played a win on every run on every tour. 
Losing's not an option. We want the best outcome. We, we don't like when we lose a single victim in a fire. 17 was simply incomprehensible. Yeah. But that wasn't because of our lack of training, our lack of preparation, and being ready to go on game day. Um, and that's simply a testament to, to, those, to those, uh, those people that were operating, and, and all the members of the FDNY. I got a phone call after that fire from Jay Jonas, who's the division commander. And um, he's like a legendary guy in our job. Like, you know, um, just into training, f- f- like for his whole career he's been into training. And uh, he calls me, and he's like, oh, thank you. Uh, you know, you did a great job. The guys did a great job. I said, I said don't thank me. I said, you have set the bar of training in your division up here in the Bronx for for decades. He sends out training material. He's he's so into it. I said, this is more a testament to to the way you lead, right? That you have a high bar, high expectation of your people, and that's where the bar needs to be, right? If you have a low bar where it's so low, you're tripping over it. What good is that? Then, because all you're doing. You're making the low performers continue to perform low, but your high achievers, your people that want to be great, you're making it harder for them, right? Feed them the information they need. Help them, facilitate them, be the best firefighter that they can be. And I ended the call and I said, Jay, thank you. Thank you for what you have always done to make firefighters the best that they can, the best that they can be um, always. Because... Here's the bottom line. I was the citywide tour commander that day, but I didn't teach anybody anything that day. I was the orchestrator for it. And even for that, the first two battalion chief, the first two deputy, they did the majority of that. I was there, and as a training chief, I was going to make sure that we sucked every piece of information we can out of that to make sure that we share it, um, both inside the FDNY and outside, because... There are so many transferable lessons to other fires. God willing, we don't have another fire like that um, where all those lessons can be reinforced or taught um, at the same time. Yeah. But the next time out the door, there'll be, no matter where you work, there'll be lessons that are transferable from that fire that you could apply to your fire no matter where you are in this country. Yep. Nope. I'm going to run around the city right now looking for a duplexes. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you have a few of them, but not too, not yeah, too many. No, that's what I'm saying. I know they're out there. I need to f- f- put a pin in them. <laughs> the, uh, you know, you, there's an expression that comes to mind, which is um, when shit hits the fan, you don't rise to the occasion. You sink to your level of preparation. And I think that really sums up, you know, what happened that day. And, you know, you talk about showing up as the, as the shift commander, the, you know, the citywide shift commander. And I'm like, that's, you know, you can't outperform the firefighters, right? The firefighters are they're going to set the bar for how that goes based on their skills and their experience and their capacity. And that's, that's huge. Um, yeah, it's so, yeah. The, when the tone goes off, the time to prepare is, is over. Yep. A hundred percent. That's exactly right. And then it's up, you know, it's up to, it's up to them at that point, how well they're going to execute. Yeah. It's like the head coach of a, of a football team, Right. Mm-hmm. Did you prepare them for game day? Yeah. And I would like to say the FDNY um, and all of our head coaches 
uh, and there's many of them at every rank. We have head coaches that are firefighters, that teach other firefighters. Our lieutenants, our captains, our battalion chiefs, our deputy chiefs. I mean, everybody is a head coach to somebody. And that is in the form of mentorship, not only in formal training capacities, but how we mentor and steward our next generation of, of leaders. And some of those are the informal firefighter leaders, and there's plenty of those. Yeah, right on. Well, hey, let me ask you just a couple rapid-fire questions, and we'll pull it to a close. What's one piece, what's the, what's the worst piece of advice you've ever been given or heard given? So the worst piece of advice I've ever been given was as a young firefighter, and it was when hoods were new. And I was told um, that you don't want to wear your hood because you want to feel the heat when it's time to get out. So then I had a really serious fire where I burnt my ears. I was a probie. And this reinforced a couple of points, right? Reinforced that I got to use my PPE. And it also reinforced that we're a team. I'm on the engine. I'm on the hose line. I got guys and girls searching on that floor and the floor above, I'm not leaving. I'm part of the team. So if, if I'm the weak link and I don't have my PPE on and using it properly, then I just became the problem. So use your PPE. It's, we have it for a reason. And if you're on the engine, you're protecting the truck. So when they say, everybody out, right? The line's not going to be, the, when we're evacuating a building, the line's not the first thing to leave. There's got to be a plan for how we transition to an exterior attack or we got out of a building, right, for whatever reason. Because if the line's the first thing out and we start letting the fire expand, um, that, could, that could put other people in jeopardy. So the team, the teamwork and making sure that we're using our PPE uh, appropriately. Use your hood. <laughs> Saves your ears. I love it. Okay. What's the, uh, what's the last book you read? Oh, the last book I read. So, so there's two I recently read. Um, I very rarely only read one book at a time. Uh, Think Again by Adam Grant, uh, The Power of Knowing What You Don't Know, uh, transformational book. And um, the book I just finished listening to um, is Sober Curious, and it's mm. about drinking. And uh, I read it because um, of all the different things that, uh, that impact firefighters. And um, uh, I had heard that as, as uh, I was listening to uh, a show about New Year's resolutions, and they mentioned that book. And I said, oh, let me check it out, because um, drinking is a, you know, can be a problem with firefighters and mm -hmm. sleep. You know, um, uh, Why We Sleep is another really good book. I mean, I could go on as In the Mouth of the Dragon about uh, plastics in a toxic age, another good book. I know you asked my most recent book, but <laughs> this, this is great. I'm making a list so in many, my head. <laughs> um, uh, thinking Fasting Slow, a uh, fantastic book. You want to understand how we think and how we make decisions, right? That your gut, your gut reaction is your experience trying to tell you what to do and recognizing that, especially in a leadership position. Um, so, boy, there's, there's, so many, there's so many good books out there and yeah. there's so many good podcasts out there, right? Yeah. I mean, and uh, yeah, you can go on and on. We could do a whole podcast just on <laughs> on that, but... All right, well, I think I know maybe what your favorite off-duty activity is. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, Apart from book reading, what else? Yeah, uh, well, and audiobooks is a game changer. Oh, so man, that, it's, I, it's you, great. For sure. You know, uh, me and my, my, uh, my driver, Driver Joe, on our way in, we'll be, um, 
we'll be drilling often. We'll listen to a podcast or uh, or watch a video or something that someone sent us or uh, occasionally a book, but not as much a book because it takes – that's a, a bigger commitment that I don't want to make for him, <laughs> you know, but um, – but yeah, oftentimes we'll listen to uh, to different podcasts and oh, stuff that's like cool. that. Yeah, um, and uh, I forgot the question. <laughs> oh, I kind of I kind of wrapped it up and I made it stupid. The uh, you know, what's your favorite uh, oh, well, off duty oh, activity? Oh, oh, so um, my favorite. Uh, I love doing stuff related to the fire service, but um, I love traveling. I love teaching. Mm-hmm. I love spending time with my family. I love spending time with my uh, with my granddaughter, who's now one years old. Um, I love hiking. I've done uh, a bunch of hiking out here. Nice. Um, so, yeah, I like being outdoors. So it's uh, it's good. It's good yeah, stuff. That's a that's a good place to relax. Which leads me to my last and final question. So we call this podcast the Fireground Fitness Podcast. Um, what does being Fireground Fit mean to you? Being Fireground Fit is about having the stamina to go in and get after it. It means cardio. I look at the, the, uh, the rope rescue that we had in Manhattan hmm. or even the Twin Parks fire where we had firefighters that had to walk up 20 flights and then perform a life-saving rope, rope uh, evolution or then put the fire out. And I would say that there may have been firefighters that were questioning their physical fitness after simply walking up 20 flights. So I think it's the ability, just like a football player, right? You have to be able to have the stamina to play the entire game. A firefighter needs to have the stamina, the cardio ability to operate for the entire duration on the fire ground. Because otherwise, if you walk up those 20 flights and you're unable to then fight the fire, you're the weakest link. And I think it's more than anything, that's, that's what it's about. It's not being the most muscle-bound guy or girl. It's about having that ability to operate efficiently and effectively on the fire ground. And that is predominantly uh, cardio-related act- activities. Obviously, you need some strength training as well, but it's about having that stamina to operate. So... As a, as a barometer, can you walk up to the top of the tallest building in your response area and then fight the fire or do a life-saving rope evolution successfully to conclusion? And if you can, then you might be in good enough shape. Might be. Right. And you got to be able to think on top of all that. Well, so, and that's all part of it, right? <laughs> you can't, if you're gassed, yeah. you're not thinking, exactly. right? And then you and then errors happen. So those type of things. Exactly. Yeah. So I think um, the mental performance part of it is important as well. Um, and we teach our firefighters, you know, how to, you know, mental performance. We have a mental performance initiative. We teaches them um, some of the tactics to, to kind of stay calm and not, and not lose it, not go off the backside of the curve, uh, you know, because you could tell when somebody's off the backside of the curve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for taking some time and, and sharing your experience and time and talents uh, with us and, and whoever's out there listening. Um, really appreciate you. And, and Thanks thank for you having for me time. again. Great to, great to actually be here in, uh, in person on day two of this uh, incredible uh, Phoenix firefighter symposium, just a great lineup of speakers. And uh, I look forward to next year's. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, if you're not here right now, you're missing out. So get here next year. Yeah, absolutely. Right on. Thank Thank you. Hey, folks, that's all we have for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you, Chief Lieb, for your time and your talents and sharing that with us. Now, if you're listening to this podcast, I hope that you go to whatever platform you enjoy the most to subscribe. This episode will drop in the middle of the night when you least expect it. Also, if you're enjoying the podcast, get on over to Apple Podcasts, rate and review. That helps draw other folks into this wonderful learning and listening opportunity. Also, if you have any feedback, thoughts, questions, concerns, fire my way to Gray at firegroundfitness.com and I will be happy to entertain your thoughts and ideas. Now, more importantly, most important thing of all, take the lessons that you've learned from Chief Lieb by listening to this podcast. Find ways to imbue them into your life and weave them into the things that you do each day and go on out there and get some. <laughs>